Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We had a strange story in our gospel reading this morning. The end result is not strange. Jesus healed a daughter severely oppressed by a demon. And while that is miraculous, it's also something that happens all the time in the gospels. Jesus' ministry can be summed up as teaching, healing, and casting out demons. That's not the strange part. No, the strange part is the situation, the way that the healing takes place. A woman comes to Jesus in faith, asking him as the Christ, the son of David, to have mercy upon her daughter. And she gets rejected, not once, not twice, but three times. What are we to make of this Jesus who answers the woman not a word? What are we to make of this Jesus who calls the pleading woman a dog? What are we to make of this Jesus who waits to answer prayer? Well, the truth is we had not just one strange story this morning, but two. In the Old Testament, a man, Jacob, wrestled with another man who turns out to be God. And the funny thing is that Jacob was apparently winning until God cheated. And so maybe one strange story can help us to understand the other. For the same Jesus is in both. The Old Testament reading began with Jacob all alone. The rest of his household and all of his possessions had gone ahead of him across a stream. And to understand what's happening, we need a little bit of background, an overview of Jacob's life up to this point. Jacob was the younger son of the patriarch Isaac and his wife Rebekah. God had promised from birth that the blessing of the Messiah, the Christ, would come through the descendants of Jacob rather than his twin brother Esau. And after a bowl of stew and some goat hair, Jacob did indeed get the promised blessing from his father. But his brother, his older twin brother, was not happy about that. In fact, he was ready to kill Jacob. So Jacob fled. And along the way, he saw a ladder that came from heaven and angels ascending and descending on it. He fell in love with the girl and worked for seven years, married her sister, worked another seven years, then married the girl. Had 11 sons, plus daughters with them and two of their maidservants. And he became rich, very rich. As much as things had gone wrong for him, he was very successful. And yet, then it turns out that his father-in-law wasn't too happy about that, so he had to flee once more. He was able to sort of patch things up with him, but now as he was coming back, his brother came out to meet him, the brother Esau who wanted to kill him. And he received word that his brother Esau was coming to meet him with 400 armed men. So Jacob sent gifts ahead of time to his brother, hoping to appease him. But now the moment of truth had arrived. In the morning, the two brothers would meet. And so Jacob was alone awake all night long. Would this be his last night on earth? He had worked and schemed and schemed and worked, but now it was really all kind of out of his control. He was pretty helpless. And so alone on this particular night, the night of his anguish and desperation, a man came and wrestled with Jacob. But Jacob did not give up. He wrestled with the man until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. Then the man said to Jacob, let me go, for the day is broken. 
But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. And this is where the story gets very strange. Jacob's new name, Israel, means one who struggles with God. As the man said when he gave this name to Jacob, you have striven with God and men, and you have prevailed. And it's almost comical. The sun is now rising as Jacob heads out to meet his brother. And he goes forth with the new name Israel, a name that means that he struggled with God and man, and he actually won. And yet he goes out after wrestling with a man who turns out to have been God. And he goes now to a potential fight with his brother, who he's known wants to kill him, and he can't even walk properly. He's limping because of his hip. The reward of struggling with God and men and prevailing is that he's now limping, crippled, helpless, unable to fight his brother. All his life from the time that he was born, grasping his twin brother's heel, Jacob had been able to struggle, struggle, and win. And now, now he has nothing left, nothing except the blessing of the Lord, nothing except the name that God has given to him, nothing except the promises of God. And this is indeed the strength of Jacob and the hope of all Israel, to have nothing left except God, for only in God do we have all. And that, I think, then can bring us back to our strange story from our gospel reading, that the same Jesus who wrestled with Jacob and allowed him to win, the same Jesus who then crippled him, that Jacob might learn the strength and power of God, the same Jesus who lost and then won by cheating, is the same Jesus who now cares for this Canaanite woman. The same Jesus who did all this with Jacob that brought him through his struggle to the strength of being found to be weak and of knowing God to be strong, this same Jesus acts in love and mercy for the Canaanite woman also. Yes, it looks, and I'm sure to her felt strange, even terrible, uncomfortable, upsetting, painful, agonizing. Jesus answered her not a word when she came begging for help. Jesus waited to answer her prayer. And Jesus did all of this so that he might bring the woman through the struggle to a place of utter weakness. He stripped away every other strength and hope so that nothing remained except that faith that clung to him, knowing that he and he alone is our hope. A faith that was able to say, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And we see that this was good for the woman, that Jesus blesses her and he tells her, great is your faith, and he does for her as she desires. Her daughter is healed and healed instantly. And in case you were wondering for Jacob, things turned out all right for him too. He reconciled with his brother. Nothing bad happened. It's an astonishing and strange story because Jesus does something strange with both Jacob and with the Canaanite woman. He is teaching them that their victory, their strength is not in their ability to get what they want, but rather in the God who provides for us, not only in our weakness, but actually through his own weakness. 
God does not come among us and save us by some great display of strength and power, by himself becoming so utterly helpless that he is nailed to the cross, and the God of all creation is killed by the very people whom he has made. God gives you these strange stories of how he has worked in the lives of his people in the past, that you might know what is happening when he works in the same way in your lives. There will be times, if you're more than just a little bit old, already have been times in your life where you have prayed and God has answered you not a word. There are times already in your life when you have cried out for help and no answer has been forthcoming. Indeed, when you have prayed and the answer that you have received certainly sounds a lot like no. And God allows you to go through these struggles precisely because he loves you. We encounter these difficulties and struggles. We find ourselves to be weak. And we imagine that that means that God has therefore forsaken us. And yet our God is the one who himself has endured these things. The God himself who was smitten and stricken and afflicted. The God who was indeed helpless upon the cross. We know that this cross of Jesus and his death for us is the way of life. We know from the scriptures that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And a lot of our struggle comes because I think we think that that's enough to think that. But there's nothing theoretical about this struggle. There's nothing abstract or imaginary about the cross. It's not just an idea or a frame of mind. Your weakness is actual weakness, and it feels like weakness. The cross is actually the cross. It was that way for Jesus. You know what he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it will feel that way at times for you too. You see, we like having God to be the person we can turn to when we need that extra boost when we need a break or when really big things are happening. But most of the time, we'd really rather if we got by on our own strength. And yet, any strength that you have, anything that you have that makes you think that God is just there for those particular moments when you might need a little extra help, that kind of strength actually kills you. It does you great harm because it leads you to look to someone and something other than Jesus. And God reveals himself to you in nothing and no one other than Christ and him crucified. In Christ, indeed, you do have all that you need. The scriptures are utterly clear on this. Jesus tells you, ask, and you will receive. There's no fine print, no terms and conditions, no asterisk. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. But we, we want to get to that without having to actually be weak. We want to meet God in life with some strength left of our own. And if we know weakness where Christ's strength is made perfect, well, we want to somehow be able to acknowledge that, that yes, Christ's strength is made perfect in our weakness without having to actually experience being weak. We want to be like Jacob to say, oh, well, yeah, God could have overpowered me without actually being lame and limping along with no strength except God's promise. But God, God loves you too much to settle for that. 
He wants you to actually have Him alone so that you can truly have all. That's what God does for you, especially during this season of Lent. He grants that you would stop hiding behind your facades of strength, that we would stop pretending that we kind of have it together in some way. Lent is a season for failures, for the helpless, for those who work and struggle, and it still isn't enough. It is a season where, by God's grace, we would come to know that we are those who have no hope except that crumbs would fall to us from God's table. And those who know this, who know indeed that they have nothing except God's mercy, utterly undeserved, these are those who will come to the Easter feast, as we say in the liturgy, with sincerity and joy. Because you will come to that day not as, oh, here's a boost for when things maybe get a little bit out of hand, but knowing indeed that I have nothing except Christ, and yet I do have Christ. For he indeed has been weak and helpless and hurting and dying, even as I experience in my life. And yet he is not dead, but is risen. And he raises with him from the dead all those who were dead, who were in the tombs, all those who were crushed by sin and death. And so we come to Easter then with true joy, not the joy that just says, oh, maybe things aren't so bad, but that says, I was dead and yet now in Christ I live, that I was lost and am found, that I had nothing and yet now in Christ I have everything. Because God doesn't just leave you with the few crumbs that fall from his table. God actually raises you up in Christ to be a child, a son of God who sits at the table, to be the firstborn son of God who sits indeed with all of the inheritance that the table itself and every treasure on it belongs to you because you are in Christ. This is indeed what these stories point to. They don't sound comfortable. They don't sound like the nice and easy help of God for us that we might like. But if you know your life and how it goes, the lives of those you love, you know that they're not easy and all nice either. You know that there's pain and suffering and weakness. And the grace that we have in Christ crucified for us is that it is actually able to work in and overcome the actual reality and pain of your life. That Jesus isn't just a God for when things need a little help but aren't too bad. God is the God for you when all is lost, when you have nothing. And yet, in Christ, who himself gave up everything, you now in him have all. To him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.